I've been building games in some form or another for quite a long time. Dropped out of college when I was 19 to start Zynga with a few other co-founders and um, built our first game, Zynga Poker, which I think to this day is still maybe the largest free poker game on the internet. When it comes to NFTs, I started advising some of the earliest projects in the space, companies like Dapper Labs uh, and Decentraland, Immutable X. How does NFTs make sense for actual builders and gamers? So we already know that people spend $100 billion a year in games on, on these freemium sort of virtual goods. If you just tell them they can get half of it back, everybody's going to want that. What would you say is the main problem you're solving and what are the challenges? The entertainment industry, you think movies, games, it's, it's one of the largest industries. So what we're really doing is arming these people who have a story to tell and content they want to create to go and make their own stories, their own content, their own games with the IP that other people have who people want to interact with. Alright, what is going on? C-Phrase Nation. We have the founder or the co-founder of Zynga, which is probably a company that you guys have heard of. I'm going to let Justin do the intro. Justin, what is going on? Pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. How's your day going? Um, yeah, it's going great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's, uh, I'm really excited, honestly, to have you on the podcast. I watched a few of your previous podcasts. I don't think that you've done any in a while. But what originally attracted, attracted me to you was obviously Storyverse and what you're building there. And obviously, the resume that speaks for yourself. Um, for anybody who doesn't know who you are and what you're currently doing, you want to just go ahead and give us a brief overview of who you are and who Justin is in general? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been building games in some form or another for quite a long time. Um, dropped out of college when I was 19 to start Zynga um, with a few other co-founders and um, built our first game, Zynga Poker, which I think to this day is still maybe the largest free poker game on the internet. Um, and had a great time there. We basically discovered and, and designed this new model for games, which was about how do you make a game that's free, that people can spend money only when they want to spend money. Um, and I think at that time, it was a radical idea that was like 15 years ago. Um, and what it really did was give people access, right? There were a lot of people who, who wanted to play games, um, but they didn't want to spend $50 up front on a game. So what we did is figure out a way for everyone to be able to play for free. And then the people who love the game just pay money developers um that was a new idea and then it kind of snowballed and and got bigger and bigger and now it's it's kind of the business model that powers most of games so it was really exciting to be a part of that um so what i like thinking about is you know what is the future of, of media um how can we take the technology that's there and do something that's better more accessible bigger um more equitable right more people participating in the upside so naturally i got excited about nfts um, when it comes to NFTs, I started advising some of the earliest projects in the space. People were reaching out to me saying, hey, you guys created this virtual goods business model. You should check out this game called CryptoKitties. Um, you should meet my friends that are working on these NFT related projects. And so um, from the earliest days, I started advising projects in companies like Dapper Labs uh, and Decentraland and Immutable X. These are, you know, these are huge, amazing companies today. Um, and I've been kind of working with them since they were these, these small teams just starting to figure out what, what NFTs were. Um, so yeah, I, for me personally, like, I think that NFTs are the beginning of a sort of reinventing of how media works and that'll be games, you know, and music, um, movies, you name it. Um, it's all sort of 
being reinvented by the technology. So I got excited and dove in and started building my own project uh, about a year ago. Oh, yeah. So for somebody who started a long time ago, at least in, in one atmosphere, let's say entrepreneurship in general, right, you got to kind of come up with this one idea in a new sector, in a new industry and see it go all the way from zero to pretty much hero and dream. And obviously, I think you fully exited Zynga right now, right? Or are you still a part of it? Well, well, we yeah. So the company IPO'd in, in 2011. So it was four years after we founded it. And then um, it, it went through a transition with mobile and everything else and became the largest mobile game company in the world and eventually sold to Take-Two um, just last year that closed. So which I think is great because, you know, um, sort of teenage me making a game company that sells to the, the creators of Grand Theft Auto would be like the best possible outcome, <laughs> you know, more than any sort of any dollar value. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been operational at the company for a while. So I've been focused on investing, helping other entrepreneurs start their companies and, and um, yeah, working on my own new stuff. Yeah. So, so my question that was going to lead, by the way, congrats on, on that success. But my question was going to be, what kind of similarities are you seeing in terms of what you're doing and advising with the companies in the Web3 space now? Versus like when you first started Zynga and that journey, do you see anything similar? And is that what attracted you into the space? Yeah, th there's a, there are a lot of similarities. And I think um, the trick is like figuring out what's essential and what's not. So the, the most challenging part, and no matter how many times you've done it, I think it's no matter how much you read, it's still difficult, is to be able to look at a new technology and imagine what could be possible. And then to look at what happened the last time there was a new technology and study how it played out and try to figure out like what might actually happen. And um, the truth is that in my experience, like a lot of the stuff that play plays out is actually not what people predicted. Um, and I have a, a lot of examples for, for how that played out last time. But if you find a technology that's as interesting and as powerful as NFTs, um, you just know that there's so many possibilities that things are going to be different. So for me, like I like to focus on, you know, the process of like how you prove your ideas. And so it's less about just coming up with a grand vision. I think there's been a lot of that in this space. It's more about the day to day, getting one step closer to sort of getting to something that actually works. Um, that's really hard to do. Um, but basically it's like, if you really want to figure out what the right answer is, we didn't in the beginning of Zynga know, okay, we're going to sell the currency and that's how it's going to work. There was no plan in that sense. Like we, we got things out, we figured out how to grow. We figured out how to make a little bit money and a little bit more and a little bit more until we developed this entire business model that becomes a package. And now when you launch a free to play game, you use 80 to 90% of the things we invented piece by piece over the course of six years. But it, that was an iterative process. And so um, I like to think that like this space is again, there's going to be a lot of discovery that happens. And the common mistakes are if people take too much from their previous experience, um, that's usually not a great way of approaching it. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of things that pan out here that are unique to NFTs. And so you want to work with, or, or, you know, be a part of communities and projects where people have the experience to execute, but you got to be careful that someone's not just saying, yeah, I'm going to take everything I did over here and do it over in this space because that, that probably won't work. Um, so yeah, there, there are a lot of places where that's going to play out, but I think that the biggest thing is to just like take your learnings, but be humble enough to, to actually prove each thing along the way. I, I love that. And I want to touch up on some of those projects that you think are uh, or have faith in the future and have potential to continue going. 
But I want to touch on something in terms of like you said in another interview, like you think blockchain is pretty much uh, uh, what's the word here? It was called a uh, human coordination, right? Technology. Mm -hmm. Can you go deeper into that? And what do you actually mean when you say like blockchain is pretty much another step towards human coordination? What does that mean to you? Yeah. So um, the way I like to think about it is social networks were a new paradigm for people coordinating online. Before that, we, we just had the Internet and Internet was a new human coordination technology, just like phone before it. And so we've had ways for people to get more throughput, communicating to more people in different ways. And every time that we have that, um, we get more efficiency, right? People are able to collaborate and do new things that they couldn't do before. I think um, the sort of biggest piece of the social networking revolution was like putting all these people in a database and making it easy for them to contact each other. But uh, the, on the incentive side, we were doing a lot with games, but incentives aren't baked into the way that social networks work. They're more just communication protocols. And a big part of having people collaborate um, is, is basically incentives, right? And one of the interesting thing about blockchain and Ethereum in particular, who kind of started the, the whole smart contract revolution is this idea that you can incentivize people even without an interface. Um, it's not that there does, there shouldn't be a UI there often is, but like just giving people, um, access to these tokens and sort of shared, uh, upside and, and, and participation or project creates a different type of behavior that is in, in some ways like completely separate from the app itself, if that makes sense. And when you start to combine um, these technologies, it's not like they're necessarily replacing each other. Like social networks can still be very useful, even though we have this new way to coordinate a lot of people, but they keep adding more layers to us being able to build things as engineers and people who work in technology to like coordinate larger groups of people in a more fair, equitable, an interesting way. And so um, for me, I think like the question starts to become how much of this coordination we've been doing in the form of a company can become something that can happen with these through these technologies. And I think that's what we've been seeing play out over the last couple of years with NFTs is they started as something that was just purely collectible and they became communities. And some of those communities became communities that can create things that rival the quality um, and some of the work that actual companies do. And so um, I, you know, my personal area of focus is games and, and what it means to build entertainment. And so I naturally, like, I'm very interested in, okay, how do we, how do we take what's there and see if we can help people produce content, produce games, um, and, and use tools and, and the sort of blockchain that's there to share the incentives and what they're creating together in a way that they couldn't, if we were just using, you know, social networks and companies. So let me ask you this, speaking about gamings, right? Like we, we all hear, or not all, all of us in the crypto space hear about how big gaming is going to be in crypto, right? And why it makes all the sense for the gamer aspect. I don't think I've heard many people talk about how this makes sense for the actual people creating the games. So can you walk me through, like as a builder in that space and somebody who's pretty much on both sides of the spectrum, how does NFTs make sense for actual builders and gamers? Like, is it going to help them monetize more? Is it more of a money plate? Like, where does that really impact the most? Well, one thing is, uh, that's always true is, is what makes sense for players always makes sense for game companies. Um, mm -hmm. It may not in the near term. So that's like a very real uh, possibility. So yeah. if players want it the most, then that will be the thing where um, players go. And if players go to a certain type of 
or a certain model, like then eventually like the game companies that support that model, the best are going to be the ones that are the next generation of winners. Right. And I think if you're in the space right now, mobile games are just absolutely huge. Every, the growth is astounding. Um, and I think that the space is a lot more competitive and mined out than people think it is. It's a, it's what we call like a red ocean, right? So, um, building yeah. a new mobile game is hyper competitive. It's, it's probably one of the most competitive areas of software. It's, you're building a game that takes a year plus to develop um, millions, tens of millions of dollars. Then there's marketing on top of it. Um, and there's so many ways it can go wrong. There's a very large team to coordinate. And then by the way, when you release that game, it's like one in a category of, of hundreds often of really good games that are all going after the same people. Um, it's become a lot more like music or something um, where, where the production costs keep going down in some way because we have tools like Unity and Unreal. Uh, but the competition just keeps going up, like being just mm -hmm. being seen, and being discovered and supported and everything else is, is really the, the challenge. So I always think a lot about like, how, how do you solve that distribution problem? That's at the core of everything, right? Like if content creation keeps getting cheaper for everybody, companies and individuals, the, the real trick is like figuring out how do you stand out? Um, a lot of what we did, you know, 10, 12 years ago at Zynga was about the same problem, which was. We, we figured out a way to use the games to promote themselves. And that's how we had games that were 40 million people playing in a day was because the people who played the game loved to share the content and were incentivized to share the content much in the same way that like blockchain can incentivize people to do certain things um, mm -hmm. to stand out and basically were the people who the brand ambassadors for the game. And when a friend tells you something is great and that you should play it, it means a lot more than an ad, right? So that, that model led to the biggest games of the last 12 years. I mean, even games like Fortnite um, and others, they don't have 40 million VAU. So this is a time when far fewer people were online, but the amount of people playing these games per day was absolutely huge. It was basically um, most people who were online at the time. And so um, when I think about like what this means for the next wave, why do developers wanna go toward a model where the, the players own the items? Because once players learn that they can own the items, they're gonna prefer that. It's better for them. Um, and it's the same way that the freemium model was better for them than buying games up front. So at first, some people who bought games up front, they thought that um, this freemium model was was sort of a ripoff. They said, I don't have to pay money when I'm playing the game. Um, you guys have to pay money when you're playing the game. That seems terrible. But what they were ignoring is that the people who were playing these free games, they were playing all these games for free and they never had to pay anything if they didn't want to. They're only paying if they get value. And so from the perspective of people who are actually playing, they were thinking this is a much more fair way for me to spend on entertainment. If I don't like it, I leave and I go to another free game. And if I like it, I support it with five bucks. It's like a coffee at Starbucks or something, right? And some people end up spending a lot more than that, but they know what they're getting. It's fundamentally more fair than spending $50 up front on a game you've never played. You end up not liking it. And like often you don't even bother to go return it because it's, it's so difficult, right? Or if you go and sell it after it's open, it's, you're getting half the money back. This is why people didn't understand it. And so it's, it's really, there were two different audiences and a lot of the people from console gaming, they never really moved over to freemium and what that was. And that mm -hmm. was okay. Out that freemium was much bigger than, than anything that was going on console games, even though it didn't really exist until we created that business model. Um, and I think the same thing will happen with, with NFTs where a lot of people are worried about, Hey, what about those console people that hate NFTs? My answer is it just doesn't matter. They're not the audience. They're not the people that you're, you're actually looking to get in. Go to these people who already like buying items 
They like buying virtual goods. They already spend $20 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month on items and games and tell them right now you don't own those items. But after this technology is integrated in this game, you will own those items. And when you're done with the game, you can sell them back. And I'm not saying you're going to make a profit. This isn't play to earn. Just yeah. tell them you spent $100 and you can get half of it back because you're done and you don't want to play the game anymore. And you just sell it to somebody else who's new in the game. Everybody wants that. Um, it's you're subsidizing the cost of their entertainment spend that they already are doing. So we already know that people spend $100 billion a year in games on, on these freemium sort of virtual goods. If you just tell them they can get half of it back, everybody's going to want that. And so the reason developers are going to are going to lean into this is because that's where players are going to go once they understand the incentives. You just opened my mind, to be honest, because see every time i thought like play to earn or just crypto gaming i always kept reverting back to playstation or xbox for some reason and i completely ignored the freemium aspect or just like these online mobile games for whatever reason that brings me to a question of because i'm reflecting back on like games that i played online right and it was mostly like through facebook back in the day where they had like the farmville and these other projects or these other games that you could play because you were a facebook user so for Web3 gaming, right, or blockchain gaming, if we want to call it, do you think it's still missing that big support from like a distribution angle where there's already a lot of users interested in freemium and it needs that big push, like a Facebook push to say, hey, Web3 games where you can buy and own assets that are on the blockchain? Or is it just going to happen as if it is happening now, but people are going to find out that they can just buy items and sell it without even knowing they're transacting? Yeah, this is one of the biggest challenges with this space. I, I feel like we we often conflate all these these people, right? And they're, they're not necessarily the same people. Um, and so yeah. often what you'll see, like a new game has a, a mint or something, and they say the thousand people that bought the NFTs in the mint are a thousand players, when in a lot of cases, like that's not necessarily true. These are people who want to be involved in the project in some other way. And so I think a big challenge a space has is like differentiating who are these people and what is their role in the ecosystem? And if you try to take these mm -hmm. people who wanted to collaborate in one way on your game, and then you tell them that the goal is for them to play the game, you may just lose your community because they weren't interested in that in the first place, but maybe they were interested in supporting you in some other way. The thing that no one's really figured out yet is like piecing together the, the different participants in, in these game ecosystems. And I think you're right on the player side, um, there's, there's a lot less development like on the distribution side. It's pretty straightforward. It's not easy, but like a lot of people understand how to get the next set of people to um, support their project in other ways. But on the player mm -hmm. side, it's still early. I think one thing that we might see is for some more like traditional freemium games, they could release in the app store and they could start doing this in a way where um, people don't need to know they're, they're buying NFTs, right? So they could be buying these items in the game that they're already purchasing. And then it turns out one day you say, oh, by the way, your inventory, like all these swords you bought, these are also on the blockchain. You don't know what that is. It doesn't matter. Um, but you can trade them now and you can sell them to other people. Like just tell them the utility of it. You don't have to explain what it is or what the technology um, is mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. even opt into it. It's something that like you could suddenly one day, if you're, if you're sort of transitioning some of these games over, they suddenly have the benefit of being able to trade these things on all these different marketplaces and you can kind of educate them about it. I think. We're going to see that approach. I think that's pretty interesting because um, we already know game companies already know how to distribute on the app store. It's not easy, but they, they understand how to do it. And um, this idea of like figuring out how to get people to actually use the stuff is, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's really important. It's a small ecosystem and 
um, in most cases, like the people who are buying these projects, not necessarily the people who are going to play. So we have to solve it. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with you on that. And again, it's like just uh, the thought that sparked in my head is like, the, I don't think the problem in crypto or just blockchain in general gaming is getting users, but it's actually retaining users, right? Like it's not getting, because I'm pretty confident at this point, everybody has already heard of crypto at this point, right? But the thing that's really hard to understand is like, why should I continue using crypto or why should I continue using NFTs? Right. So for you, yeah. for somebody who's advising, like literally some of the biggest companies in the space, like Dapper and uh, Immutable X, like what does that conversation look like? Is it more focused on like, how do we retain our customers and continue having them coming back? Or is it still or is the conversation still like, hey, how can we bring on more people and see who sticks? Yeah, I, I think about this a lot. And like what it means even to be retained is is kind of like different in, in Web3 than it is in Web2. Um, this is something I've been still wrapping my head around. So like in web two, it's all about, did they come to your site today? Right. Did they use your product yeah. today? If they didn't, then there's no relationship because they're either in your space or they're not. Um, web mm -hmm. two is, is a lot like you're running a cafe. It's like, if people didn't show up, there's nothing going on. There's no interaction between you and, and that person, that customer. Um, web three to me is, is a, it's about ownership, right? So like you can buy a car and be like a, a fan of the brand. And even if you didn't drive it that day, you still kind of have a relationship with, with the brand. And maybe if you didn't drive mm -hmm. it for a week, you still have a relationship. And by the way, at any point, you can go back and you can use it. Um, and you have kind of an incentive to use it because you already you already bought the thing. And it, it may be a part of your identity in some way that you own a Ferrari or whatever it is. Okay. Um, and I think that that's actually quite different. It doesn't mean that you can just ignore that people aren't showing up and participating in your Discord or anything like that. But the way that we engage with something we own is different than the way that we engage with a space. And so Web 2 is a mm. lot like spaces and Web 3 is, is a lot more about like these these things that you own. And so, I, you know, if if your Ferrari demanded that you drive it every day, it might get a little annoying. I don't know. Maybe some people would like that. But it's like <laughs> the Web 2 stuff, they need you to use it every day. And the Web 3 stuff, it, things you own don't need you to use them every day for them to add value mm. in your life. So maybe that's the first thing I would I would mention. And what that means is that like people can be accumulating these things they own in the virtual space without necessarily using them every day. And like, if you like going skiing, um, you know, you probably only go in the winter. And if you're done with the skis that you use for a couple of years, cause you outgrew them or you're ready for a new pair, you can sell those skis back. Right. And so mm -hmm. this is like a very practical use of this technology. We get caught up in um, how do we make the number go up? And like everybody participates in the number going up. But from that perspective, like people understand this concept of, of ownership. You know, you own something and you you sort of, when, when you're done with it, you you can sell it, get some value out of it and put it in the next thing. That's really powerful because from the game's perspective, the 100 billion that's getting spent into freemium right now every year, none of that goes back to the players. It goes purely yeah. to the developers. Um, but more specifically, and to your earlier point, it goes to distribution. So if you ask yourself, like, why aren't these game companies making money hand over fists? Because uh, like 60, 70% of that money is going back into marketing to find new players. And um, Facebook and you know, Google are taking the lion's share of, of this, this revenue. So um, what does that mean? I think it's, it's really, um, it's about that opportunity for people to spend more with more developers. Like if, if, if all that spend is instead of it getting just funneled back into marketing, someone can get some of it back when they're done playing with a game, that's more money they can spend in another game. 
And so if we're seeing $100 billion being spent every year right now, and it's never coming back to the players, what will happen when they buy something and then they can sell it or sell it again for like half of what they bought it for? Probably a lot of these people will be putting that, that extra money they just got back into another game. And so we're going to see even more purchasing than we see now. Um, it's like you can subsidize your future gaming from the, the mm. gaming you've already done. Right now, that's impossible. Every dollar you spend is gone forever. So um, I think what's going to happen is it's going to make the, the gaming industry like even bigger because it'll make it cheaper um, for the player. So it's clear, obviously, you're betting big on the future of gaming and crypto, right? And you just started, obviously, Storyverse, or yeah, at least it's been out for quite a while now because they're making a big push now. Walk me through what does that mean for you personally? And why did you even decide? Like, I, I'm pretty sure I can guess here that you're not really in a place where you need to start something new. So why did you start it and where did the inspiration come from? And then let's talk about some of the biggest problems you think that specific company can face uh, as we continue to grow. Sure. Yeah. I mean, why, why do something now? I mean, I think like there's it's every 10 years or so, roughly, like there's some sort of huge opportunity with a, a platform shift. Right. And I think not every platform shift that comes applies to every type of like problem you're working on. Maybe NFTs are really good for media. Maybe they're not good for something else. There's a lot of people trying a lot of things, but for games, I think mm -hmm. um, they're squarely in the middle of like what, what's possible with NFTs is going to affect games in a major way. Um, so I, I, and given my experience, I just felt like, you know, when, when the, the things are lined up like this, it's, it's worth trying to figure out like what you can do to contribute to it. I saw a lot of money in the space, um, where people were betting on these projects and, and I went deeper to, and sort of look at what was there. And I, I felt like, um, there were a lot of interesting things happening, but there weren't people working on what I thought was, was pretty really new brand new opportunity enabled by nfts and um basically that's that many people that own these nfts they have the commercial rights to use the characters of the nfts they own and they've been excited about it for a year or more in many cases but they haven't really actually been able to do much with it and so the natural question is like why you know you own this board ape you have the commercial rights to it that seems like it's probably worth something it's probably worth a lot um, if you look at like entertainment franchises and how much revenue they make, so much of it is related to IP. As someone who runs a mm -hmm. game company, I've done deals with Disney and Warner Brothers, all the big, you know, the big sort of names that own IP. Um, those things can make or break a game. Like being able to work with a proven brand and IP is huge. And so these brands like, like the Board Ape Yacht Club and other blue chip NFTs, they have a huge brand inside the space and are even starting to mean something outside of the space of Web3. And so um, being able to use those commercial rights is a huge deal. Now, if you look at like where those, those IPs, like the Bored Apes could be used, if you look at other brands, uh, most of the revenue ends up being in entertainment, in media, in games. Um, and so we've seen people do interesting things where like you put it on merch, of course, why not? Put it on a coffee mug, why not? Like you have a beer company, put it on the label. That's fine. All this stuff is great, but it's, it's really like small compared to the number one thing that happens when you have characters that become a well-known brand is media. It's the media drives the recognition of the brand and the brand enables the media to get to way bigger than if it wasn't, if it wasn't being using that IP. Um, so it's this very symbiotic relationship. And so to me, it's, it's amazing that some of these brands have become so big without the media and without the games. 
<laughs> and I started asking myself, well, like a lot of people pointed this out last year and they said, this project should build a game and this project should build a game. But a lot of these companies, they're not game companies. When Warner Brothers wants to do a game, they license their IP to somebody who builds games. Um, and so, so does Disney. They have some internal mm -hmm. game studios. It's not like, you know, 100% true all the time, but they usually are working with other people who are focused on building the game. So um, I started to think, well, that works for companies. What about these holders? They have a bunch of IP and they want to use it, but they don't have any way to do it. So what we built was, it's a very simple way for if you own blue chip NFT IP right now, you can come to our site, you can put it into our platform and then other people can create content with your IP. And when they create content with your IP, you get uh, royalties. If they make money from the content they create, you get royalties. So it's, it's, um, it's very straightforward, but the point is like a lot of the people that own the IP, they don't have the time or the desire to go create the content. And then on the other side, you have a lot of people who are amazing at creating content. We're only working with like very incredible writers and creators who have, you know, they're award-winning like with real films or, or with books like bestsellers, these types of people who also are in Web3. We're not working with like authors that come from outside the space and see this as some sort of a cash grab. These are people who in many cases own these NFTs themselves and they get the space and they wanna create their own NFT collection. collection. And they've been watching artists who uh, have been succeeding a lot with Web3 ship new art. And there's a lot of platforms for artists to, to put out a JPEG or to put out a movie. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're a writer or a content creator, if you want to work with this type of IP, there's no platforms to really do that. And so um, and, and writing is something where reading, you know, unfortunately, like on the Internet, reading is not everyone's favorite activity. We'd rather watch something. We'd rather play something. And so what we do is we help these writers who can create amazing stories do the same thing that writers do when they go work with like a Netflix or something. They turn the story into something that everybody's enjoying consuming, something easy to consume. Um, and so storytelling, everyone knows is, is like core to people and, and everyone's entertained by storytelling, but writers don't have a way to make a compelling NFT. It's gotta be visual, it's gotta be animated. It's gotta have the characters people already love even better if it's interactive and there's a game to it and we all want to trade it because of what's going on in the game, that's the best. So um, we built a platform for the people who own the IP to put it in and then the creators to come in on the other side, use the IP, make valuable things with it, and then everybody gets paid. Um, and it's it's kind of like a new back to this idea of how does blockchain coordinate people. Um, it's permissionless way for, for people to work together uh, and create more value where everybody wins. I love that. And to go a little bit deeper into that, what would you say is the main problem you're solving and what are the challenges that you're facing right now or you think could face at scale? Mm. Yeah, the main problem we're solving is that um, there's no way for writers to succeed and if, mm. if you, on NFTs. That's a big deal. So like art coming online because of NFTs, I think people are underestimating how big of a deal that is. So I, I like to talk about games and games. We hadn't figured out a business model for the internet before Zynga figured this out and popularized the business model that's now absolutely huge. And yeah. if we started sticking to the $50 model for games, a $50 per game model, um, we wouldn't have like a huge explosion of games that pe people could use on the internet. That business model was not compatible with the way people use the web. Um, same on the art side. For 20, 30 years of the internet, there's been no way to sell art. 
It, it just doesn't work. It didn't work. And then with the blockchain, it finally works. So what we're seeing is like the beginning. It's like 2007, 2008, 2009 for games where we had a couple hundred million dollars in revenue going on like these, um, these games, these premium games. And now it's $100 billion. We're seeing the very beginning of this. Art is just this massive industry that's just starting to get touched by NFTs in this what it did is create a business model for artists to come online. So many other types of businesses have come online um, and art hadn't yet. So writing is the same. Like writers in this form of content creation, they have not had a way to come online and create their own business and get their own upside like artists now can. And so if we just solve that single problem, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very, very large. Um, and I think like at the, the entertainment industry, you think movies, um, games it's it's one of the largest industries so what we're really doing is arming these people who have a story to tell and content they want to create um to go and make their own stories their own content their own games with the ip that other people have who people want to interact with um and so how does this how do we solve this at scale i think you know some of the biggest challenges are just going to be um some of the same that the artists have faced, right? Which is like educating the people who want to create this content, how to manage a community, because these are their collections. We're a platform. Um, the stories that are coming out on our platform, they're not our collections. Like Tyler Hobbs put out Fidenzas on our blocks. It's Tyler Hobbs's collection. It's the same thing we're doing. So we're facilitating writers putting out their own NFT collections. And so they need to learn what it's like um, to manage a community. And artists had to learn what that was like, and, and the writers are going to have to as well. So um, we're going to lean into a lot of those those learnings, and we're going to have to like help everybody get up to speed on how to do that. Um, for us, like we're most excited about getting these initial stories out. We we've got really great people who who are on board. We've already announced a couple of them. Um, so they're like award winning actors and writers, and um, you know, best selling authors. So. Um, we think that when people start to see this format, it'll really click that everyone's been waiting for the Netflix TV show for something like a, uh, one of these PFP projects. But mm -hmm. we think there's another path here, like a more native Web3 path. There's nothing wrong with the Netflix show. I mean, people are going to want that too. But it takes a year or two to go make a Netflix show. And we think there's a whole universe of content that could be created and supported that's smaller and bite-sized and interesting and fun. Um, that will entertain us all while we're waiting for that that Netflix show to drop. And I think that'll be like a key unlock for the for the industry because we've been looking for these huge milestones when we already know um, that just being able to release an NFT collection with with a bit of this content is something that most people in the space would really love. So we're just trying to it, it's it's digital comic books essentially, right? Like we. We know that storytelling is collectible. We know that people that love characters want to read um, or be a part of the storytelling with these characters. And we're just going to enable a way to do that because it's kind of amazing that no one has yet. Yeah, I completely, I completely agree with you. Uh, a question that comes to mind here is like, you know, a lot of the things that we see that are being built right now in crypto are in some shape, way or form, very reliable on crypto as a space to succeed. Right. And if crypto doesn't succeed, right, then, you know, those NFTs turn into securities or those projects may fail in some shape, way or form. But, you know, if I'm understanding this correctly, you're kind of building a business where it's less focused on Web3 and crypto, but
but it's more so focused on an a on enabling Web3 and crypto technology to move in ways that it, it isn't moving right now. Meaning, okay, if you have an NFT that's popular and it already has a brand, we're just going to go ahead and find somebody who's really experienced in a niche and help you develop a story and a character behind that brand where if a Netflix or if a Disney wants to come on board, they can say, hey, we want to go ahead and give you royalties for this, buy this IP out and move forward. Does that sound correct or did I get it wrong here? Well, we're also just eliminating the gatekeepers completely. So these people are publishing, these creators are publishing stories on our, our platform without the gatekeeper. Um, just like Tyler Hobbs doesn't have to ask the MoMA for permission to publish Fidenzas. He just works with art blocks and gets it out. And they make sure the artists that they represent are of a certain quality. We're making sure these content creators are at that same level. Uh, and then they're, they're out. Like we give them the tools. They can create this crazy animated interactive content, these games with the characters. Most people have never seen a board ape animated in these ways before. Um, and, and they can publish it and it's their own NFT collection. They own it. They keep almost all of the upside and then IP holders. And then the platform gets a small piece of it. Um, so we're really enabling it. And I think to your point, like, you know, we, we, we think that um, this is a new way of working together. And so we're not really sure, like, you know, what should the price of a board ape be? I, I think they're great. And they may, they may go up if, if people figure out a way to use them in media that actually works. That's probably a good thing for, for all these brands, right? So I think they could go, you know, we, we could be looking back at this and thinking it's funny. Um, we felt like things might be overpriced, but we didn't even have a way to publish content yet with these in an organized way. You know, how obvious is that, right? I mean, Spider-Man, how popular would Spider-Man be if there weren't comic books? Like we've got the action figures, but we don't have the stories right now. It's, it's, it's really strange, right? So um, I, I think we may look back and, and see this as like so funny that we, we, we didn't realize how much was yet to come. So, but we don't know what the, the price should be, but, it, but this is about enabling what the technology can unlock for people to coordinate in a new permissionless way, which is what the blockchain is all about. And um, by removing those barriers, we get stories out. So instead of us having to wait for Netflix to go ink a deal with this, our favorite PFP project, these writers come and they're ready to do it. And they're ready to publish, they're ready to hustle, and they're ready to make quality content. And we put it out and we see what, we see what wins. This is what happens with, with art, right? Like if a piece of art comes out and it's not perfect and it doesn't resonate with people, you know, it's okay. Like we move on and then, and then there's, there's another piece that does and it, it changes the way we think about everything. Um, so we, we want to create that opportunity for content creators because, um, we don't think waiting for the perfect thing and the biggest thing for a year or two years within the web two model of like having to deal with a, some huge publisher is really taking advantage of what's possible here. Okay. So I want to put you on the spot here, right? You're into one underserved niche and you're building one underserved, uh, niche in the crypto and blockchain space. Tell me three other problems you think, or three other ideas that somebody, you know, that you may be seeing. So let me rephrase the question here. Give me three ideas that you think are very underserved in the crypto space that somebody should actually be looking at right now, but they're not. This is a really good question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a lot of space on the NFT side, um, in media in particular. So, um, if I were to overgeneralize here, I think. On the finance side, in the DeFi side, the space is very overdeveloped. Like a lot of the talent that that came in came from finance, and we've had so much amazing work that's been built over the last four or five years on Ethereum to support all these different ecosystems and ways to trade. Um, 
But on the NFT side, we, we created this brand new way for people to bring uh, media and content onto the blockchain. But in many ways, like what you can do with it is still in its infancy. And so we need people to go and build more uh, primitives and more connective tissue and ways for people to actually do things together. It's not enough to just put the content here and say people can use it. Um, we need more ways to track and, and allow people to collaborate. And I, you know, what we're doing is, is, is basically a, a platform to connect these people so that instead of having to go around DMing people all day, um, asking them if they want to work with your ape or vice versa, like you can just put it in a platform and it happens. I think we're going to see, um, you know, more initiatives like this, like generative art is not something that art blocks invented, but without art blocks, there may not be much generative art on Ethereum. So there, are, there is an opportunity to create like platforms that help people create a category because there are a lot of pieces of it that are a lot of work and an individual artist might not have the time or the money to go and build all the pieces they need to build to, to put out a collection like Fidenza's, but our blocks can go and build it. And now an artist can come and they have the freedom to go do what they're good at. So um, I'm excited about seeing more categories like that. Like we're creating a new category called collectible stories. And that combines the game engine that we've built to make these interactive animated stories with the IP that comes from IP holders. And previously they'd have to spend you know, half a million dollars, who knows, putting together, creating this type of content. But anyway, they couldn't do it by themselves. I think we're going to see more um, like content categories like this. I think there are probably a bunch. Um, and I think enabling them um, is, is how we start to like level up and get people able to work on more new types of projects. So the challenge we have right now is like, it's very easy to upload a JPEG, but everything else, like the coordination is happening offline. And so we need, and, and I think I'm not trying to, to sort of like not give a specific answer here. It's just, there are a lot of categories like that, right? It's, it's very early, um, but being able to, to build like a ladder so that people can collaborate on a higher order is, is where we need to get to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if I were to answer more generally, I think there's a ton in NFTs, like even what we said around games, like just accessibility, how do you make this, this frictionless wallet that is embedded into the games people are already playing such that they suddenly realize, oh, my inventory is tradable. Um, a lot of people have been focused on on-ramps, like getting fiat into the game, for example. Mm -hmm. It's an important problem, but it doesn't solve like the even bigger on-ramping uh, on problem, which is just, there are tons of people who are already buying these virtual items. Why not go and take those virtual items and put them in a wallet for free in the background without a user ever even asking for it. And then one day show up and say, hey, you have all these items. Um, so I think we've been thinking about this from the perspective of the last mm. generation of innovation, which was all about get your currency in, do things with your currency, do lots of interesting things with your currency and take it out. Whereas I think the next wave, um, it's about living inside the blockchain where like the items you get and, and what you do with them, um, there are a lot more ways to get people into the ecosystem than just putting in fiat for the first time. And it might be totally fine if they do Apple Pay, buy some item in a game, and then it turns out that item is now in a wallet um, and they find out three months later when you announce the feature, that's another great on-ramp. It may even be better than asking them to trust some sort of like wallet that has a really nice experience. So um, I think that NFTs open up the design space and a lot of people who've been in the space for a, a longer are still thinking about it in this this financialized way. And one of the most powerful things I've heard recently is like this idea of 
NFTs being the first on-ramp for a lot of people. Um, some of these people never had fiat. They yep. won their first NFT. They got it for free. That was their wallet coming online. And then they sold that NFT. They made some, some ETH or something. And then they kept sort of recycling it and, and becoming part of the ecosystem. That's even more frictionless than, than the most frictionless sort of fiat on-ramp or currency, right? So I think what we're going to see is like, there's just a lot of ways to get people involved. And um, the more we do, the better. And NFTs are a tool because in many cases, like there is no necessarily no marginal cost for Starbucks producing another NFT. So if they want to give somebody another free NFT, like that's another wallet that gets onboarded, right? And it doesn't necessarily cost them anything depending on what that NFT does. So I'm really excited about like, using nfts as a trojan horse to get way more people involved um i think that the reservations people have around nfts are about they think they're overpriced they're thinking of the, the things they've read in the media when and yep. when they start to realize they can be cheap or free or useful and they become a part of their daily lives like i think they're going to accept them for sure so um it's just about getting more stuff out like that I love that. By the way, what does the F stand for on the hat? I keep trying to think, but I can't figure it out. <laughs> oh, this is a fractal. Uh, yeah, it's a, a marketplace that Justin Khan started. So I'm an investor, so I got a hat. <laughs> nice. Okay, cool. We got the free shell right there. Um, another question I have is more so recent about like the current news. What do you think Amazon's role is going to be coming into the space? Do you have any big brain ideas on how they're going to approach it differently? And is it a dub or a L? you think overall? Uh, well, it, I don't know if they'll do this, but what I'd be really excited about, it gets back to the point I was mentioning, which is like, how do NFTs become a part of people's daily lives? Right. And yeah. if I were Amazon and everyone's excited about a loyalty program, um, a lot of brands want a loyalty program uh, and it's tough for Amazon because right now you have, you have Shopify where you get the pure brand experience or you yep. get Amazon where it's like, there's no brand experience. Um, maybe there's like a middle ground where. Amazon enables sort of brand loyalty, but within their consistent shopping experience. So imagine if you bought like Nikes on, on Amazon and you got some sort of Nike NFT, they were able to start bundling these NFTs with the purchase. Um, mm. And that would be a pretty interesting way to have like a, for brands to have a, a more um, ongoing relationship with their shoppers on Amazon, which right now they want more of. And Amazon can still keep the consistent sort of interface that their customers want. Because in a lot of cases, like when you go on Amazon, you, you kind of want it to be simple and, and the same to go buy anything. You don't want to have to experience new checkouts, new logins, whatever. And so um, I think that what would be really exciting is to see Amazon lean into it enough where they're not just looking to sell and trade NFTs that um, people are already trading, but instead figuring out how, what about all this other commerce that's happening? How can we attach NFTs to that? And I think if they do that, then they could usher in like the next you know, wave of, of everybody getting one of these, right? So imagine everything you bought on Amazon came with an NFT and they gave people a way to, to design like a simple loyalty program and a simple NFT that could be attached to the items you're already buying. That's what I would love to see. I don't think the world needs just another marketplace. Um, it, you know, there are a lot of them uh, and they could be better. Like, don't get me wrong. Like there's improvements to make in that space. Um, but I'm more excited to see Amazon, like take the commerce that's already happening and start figuring out how that, what that means for NFTs. Yeah, I agree. I had a similar idea as well. It's just en enabling some type of like commerce blockchain, interoperable like system, right? Where it's like, 
you know, because right now everybody has points on Chase, right? When you spend on Chase, everybody has points on, let's say, Nike or Starbucks, but there's no way to use the same points everywhere. So I think if Amazon can solve a problem of having those points that you're already spending with your favorite brands all under one big brand that is Amazon and being able to take advantage of that, I think that would make like absolute insane amount of sense. And it can actually manufacture a lot of demand for NFTs because then it's like, hey, maybe you have to own this Amazon specific NFT in order to merge all these points because we're going to take care of the back end for you. Yeah. Yeah. And even beyond just like points, I mean, it just makes sense from a brand perspective right now. If you think about some really great luxury brands, they they won't let you buy this car until you bought this car and this car and this car. And then you can buy this car. Like Amazon can very easily create those experiences if they start to integrate these NFTs where um, buying this one thing, you get an NFT with it. And then the next thing you want to buy is NFT token gated, where you go Mm -hmm. and you want to buy this new, it's like, you need to have this NFT oh, by the way, if you don't have it, come to our marketplace. So token-gated commerce and the loyalty side, like if they just focus on that and they don't get caught up on the what's already happening, like I, I don't imagine that, that Amazon's going to go and steal market share from Blur and from OpenSea and these other platforms. I don't think it's the right approach for them. Um, I think what they really should do is just lean in completely to the commerce side and they could end up being bigger than, than all the other places if they do that. Yeah, I kind of agree more with you on that point. Uh, another question here I have is, so I was uh, hearing one of the last hearings they had for like FTX and talking about uh, crypto in general in the hearing. And uh, one of the congressmen said, you know, AI just came out and it's done more for humans and business and technology than crypto has in the last 10 years. Why do you think that's like a true statement that's out there? And how, how do you think the problem can be solved for that? Um, I'm not sure if that's a true statement, hard to measure. Um, I think they're both great. And, and I think they both have a lot of positive ways that can be used and a lot of negative ways that can be used. I like to think that, um, one of the best ways I've heard this put is the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. And so there are some people who are using so much AI in their current job or their life that they're kind of living in the future. Um, and in five years, there are other people who will finally catch up with them and realize how much um, good or how useful something can be. And crypto has definitely been that story, right? And there are people who are living in parts of South America for whom they, they would really disagree with what with what that person said. They, they would say, like, I need this. This is what saved me from hyperinflation that that ruined my local currency. And this is the way that I was able to survive and not just go completely bust. Um, and so that's real utility. And I think those people in some sense are living in the future, right? They saw the value of this because they were affected by one of these events that made it super apparent that there is real utility um, in this. And, you know, some of us are lucky to not have been through that, but um, Mm -hmm. that's like a big deal. Going broke and being saved by Bitcoin or Ethereum, like um, those people probably don't feel like AI has added more value to their life yet. And there are a lot of those people. Um, so when it comes to like us as, you know, Americans or, you know, the situations we've been in, yeah, um, there's still a lot of utility, but I, I think it really all comes down to how you use it and like how much you lean into it. So, um, I'm excited about, about both. And I think the trick is like, if you just get into these new technologies that are really promising early, um, usually you figure out how they're useful way before other people understand it. And so probably that person, um, just doesn't get it yet. Right. And like this. This happens with everything. It's not just Bitcoin and AI. Um, it's you think about Snapchat. When Snapchat came out, um, it was 
becoming super popular with teenagers and every single media publication was writing the same thing, which is the only reason you'd ever use photos that disappear is to send illicit photos to other people. So what these teenagers are doing is just sending illicit photos to each other and that's it. And if you go back and read like the first few years Snapchat was growing, everybody who was over 20 was just like, this thing is only for that. It, there's no other useful reason to send photos that disappear in, in 10 seconds. And now um, we've all kind of like the, they, the teenagers then were living in the future. Like they knew that yeah. there were a lot of good reasons to send photos that disappeared 10 seconds later. And now everybody understands that. But it took us like 10 years to understand that. And so, um, yeah, there's some people who are living in the future and there's some people who aren't. And the technology is also developing. So, you know, eventually it'll become apparent, I think. Love that. And uh, I want to put you uh, through this exercise with you at the end of the podcast, which is kind of like Fuck, Mary Kill, but NFT and Crypto Edition. So three projects, one you would hold on forever, one you think is a really great flip in the meantime, and then one that you would never want to be a part of. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with Mary. Like, I, I think Ethereum is an incredible project. I think it doesn't always move as fast as, as we all want it to. But that's almost become like a feature um, and not a bug. I think mm -hmm. um, it, they're doing things carefully and getting the merge done like on a live system as complex as Ethereum has become was a huge moment because that proved that um, they could execute on the roadmap. Even if it was late um, and even if people wanted it earlier, they got it done. And like that's a level of complexity that, that then tells you they can probably get these other things in the roadmap done too. And it may take a mm -hmm. while. But um, if they could pull that off, I think they can pull uh, a lot of their other plans off because they're similar in terms of complexity. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, um, you know, bullish on Ethereum in the long run. But I'm also I, I think that chains more broadly, like the more seamless all this gets, multi-chain is a thing. And um, so, like, it doesn't mean that I'm an Ethereum maxi in the sense that I think that um, people will only use Ethereum. I think people will use all sorts of stuff, um, but I think Ethereum will is just very well positioned um to be the place where people do a lot of a lot of things not everything but a lot of things and so um yeah i think that's a good one um let's see um yeah fuck like i i think there's like a lot of <laughs> let's see here um i really like what what gabe Layden is doing um with with limit break mm. so i know that this is a controversial one um but but I actually think that he's, because he's found another path that is a bit different to get the project to be growing and, and to get the attention it needs to succeed than a lot of other projects have taken, he's kind of, um, and he doesn't really care, like he's sort of bothered some other people in the space, right? Because there's yeah. been, there's almost this cabal of gatekeepers within the space that say you work through me and that's how your project gets popular. And they're kind of annoyed because Gabe figured out a way around yeah. everybody and got popular anyway. And um, to me, that's great. That's innovation, right? It shows there's more ways to succeed in this space. And the more ways that there are to succeed in this space, the better for everybody. We all want, if you really care about this space, you want as many ways to succeed as possible. Um, that means more good projects, more fuel for the ecosystem. So yeah, I really like what, um, what DigiDaigaku um, and the Limit Break guys are doing. By the way, like none of this is financial advice and um, I, I can't even on what like the price should be for any of these things. I just think Gabe knows how to run a game company and he's one of the few people who knows how to run a game company who's also found a way to succeed like in the early days of the way he's running his community. That's a rare matchup 
Um, so people should pay attention. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that there are at a price where you should buy in. It just means you should pay attention. Um, so yeah, and then kill. Um, oh man, you know, like I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to have to shoot on any projects here. Um, huh. You know, if I could, this is, I, I don't, I hope this isn't a cop out, but there's just, there's so many, like these NFT projects where you just, well, obviously get rid of scams. That would, that would make the whole space a lot better. But how do you define a scam? And I, I really, um, I want to see more people doing positive things with the, the IP that's there and not just sort of ripping it off. Like, I, I don't love when, when people get behind even like the meme NFTs where um, mm -hmm. like there's like Pepe NFT, you know, I no matter what you think of these characters or like the the sort of the next Pepe NFT, it's just, I just don't think it's great for those things to be trending and charting. Like if we're really trying to work toward, toward figuring out how to do this whole decentralized media thing and how to support the creator, um, there's still this contingent of like leftover shitcoin trading people um, in the space that make these other things chart. And, and I just don't think it's good for the space. Um, I think it makes people who show up and look at the open sea charts who are like coming from other industries or just want to get into the space think, you know, what the hell is this? Right. Um, don't get me wrong. Like it happens in the stock market too. You, we all saw GameStop and, and these other things that have happened, but I think the more we see like the people who are, who are really thinking about this long-term start to become um, the majority, the more healthy this space is going to get. And, and we're going to get like more than we ever thought we would. Um, I think the technology is super powerful. I think um, what it unlocks is going to surprise everybody, including the people who are building it, because it's there are just so many possibilities here. Um, and I think hopefully we'll um, we'll see less and less of like these projects hitting the top five that that we all know are just um, a joke. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just I, I think it's still holding us back in some way. It's it's part of the branding problem. So yeah, I'd kill those projects if I could. I love it. So Mary Ethereum flip or fuck uh bg daigakus and then kill any project that makes it a top five with absolutely no purpose pretty much uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool yeah. besides that justin thank you so much for hopping on this was a great episode make sure you guys check out justin's twitter and obviously storyverse in the description below and we'll, we will see you guys on the next episode